As I mentioned, the today's topic is sex, marriage, and spirituality. Before we delve into the text itself, which is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 9, um, there are a few things that I need, I'd like to mention about the context. As you see, the first verse, there's a quotation comes from the Corinthian church. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a man, with a woman. And obviously I put, right? Is the, the, the question is, what do you think about this, Paul? Was their first question. This remarks the second part of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to Corinthian church. The first six chapters, he has dealt with the topics that immediate to his heart. Uh, the household of Chloe, the people who attended and be part of that Christian community at Corinth and reported what, what was happening in Corinthian church. And he has dealt with uh, those verbal reports first because of the, those are more the foundational uh, issues in verse, I mean, chapter 1 through 6. Now, starting with 7, is this, he's actually dealing with written questions. The letter that was brought by those three brothers, uh, household of Chloe, and written by the first Corinthian, I mean, Corinthian church. Chapter 7 is about sex, marriage, and singleness. And chapter 8 and 9 and 10 is taboo issues. It's about the meat offered to the idols. The meat market is all is very indistinguishable what was offered to the idols or not. And as a Christians, it became a very divisive topic. And they were looking for answers. Chapter 11 is the problems that occurred during corporate worship service. Chapter 12 and 13 and 14 related to the public worship. It was about exercising spiritual gifts. And as you know, they have all kinds of gifts and miraculous gifts. And, and there was some chaos going on. And once for all, Apostle Paul explains, taking three chapters. And then finally, chapter 15, the last question is about the resurrection of the body. And some, some argue that there is no, no resurrection. And not only... Uh, Apostle Paul takes the resurrection of Christ, but he takes up one notch higher to the relevance, the resurrection of all believers in Christ. So first topic, think about this. When Paul was looking through the letter, why would he, why would he choose this? I think it's somewhat intentional to begin with this. I don't know if it was the order, but he, we just talked about and we just studied on chapter 6 being on rampant sexual immorality. His command, his urge was flee from sexual immorality. And then he brings up this first written question. It was a little bit of a saying, and they wanted Paul's opinion. 
it is good for man not to have sexual relationship with a man, with a woman. The context, number one, is it is because of misguided view on body. And as I mentioned last week, uh, because of the influence by Greek philosophy, dualism, and they embraced the spirit and rejected the flesh. The body was, physical things were not really needed, and it is not important, it's not valuable. The spirit, non-physical, is important. The two responses can happen. One extreme is, it doesn't matter what you do with the body then. So let's drink and be merry, and tomorrow we die, who cares? Hedonism, seeking pleasure. The sexually rampant, sexual immorality was rampant, and the prostitutes were a, a form of a worship of Aphrodite, and then thousand, one thousand prostitutes. Um, the female prophets were available as a form of idol worship. And this was a part of a normal life. And this morning's question is on other extreme. Rather than body not important going to the hedonism, now body is bad and bodies need to be repressed. Asceticism set in. And when you're taking the spirituality, and we, use, we see that tendency even nowadays also too, any drive, sex drive especially, is not good. It's better way, it's better to done with. So when they're saying, if you look at another uh, translation, you will say, it is good for men to remain single, not married, in other words. No, it was more than that. To deny the sex drive, they're basically saying, not only remain single and celibate, but even if you're married, don't engage in any sexual relationships with another opposite sex. What do you think? Um... We see Paul's wisdom in this because it's a very difficult question for him because Paul, by preference, he was a single and he pursued and even recommend singleness to everyone if they could choose, uh, if they have the self-control. So how, how, does, how does he do, respond? If he says, yes, it is right, and then he, he will succumb and capitulate into the wrong view about body and the God-given sex drive, which is very good and healthy. He didn't want to do that, but he didn't want to go the other way and negating the beauty and goodness of singleness as well. So not only the sex drive was real, but the reality of over-sexualized culture was there. The sexual temptations were rampant everywhere. In that sense, it is so true with us too. I don't know about your 
men's group or women's group. In our men's group, there was some conversation, frank conversation going on about temptations that we deal with. And I, I'm, this is a woman's group's turn this week. So it will be you know, interesting to, to see uh, what kind of application will come, up, come about. But we all agree, not only for our children, but also for ourselves, the sexual temptations everywhere and normalized. And fourth, a third one is a noble idea for deeper spirituality. I alluded and hinted that already. And the Christians now, they are seeking to be spiritual. I want to really God, be godly and holy and in our pursuit of God. And that means I need to do away. And sort of like a functional monk in every day. And obviously this is the false pseudo-spirituality, isn't it? Fourth and last is an incomplete or low view on sex. Many well-meaning Christians even do still view sex as a limited purpose. A Roman Catholic Church still believes the primary and the ideal purpose of marriage, I mean sex in marriage, is procreation. To have children. And I'm going to hold myself back because I have a lot to say in our application. Um, Because in our culture, Christian culture, what was what is so alarming for me is that the negative, limited, low view of sex. So we have lost this beautiful gift and losing this beautiful gift to the to the to the really sexually immoral pornography industries and all those secular people who are making money, billions of dollars. So without going into the too much detail, I'm going to hold back, because too, too quick application of a text will be a pretext. We're going to read into it. So let's make sure that we get the meaning, exegete the passage out of what Paul intended to say first, and then we'll apply. The question that we're asking is, what is a spiritual, true spirituality concerning sex in marriage? How do we view sex in marriage? And uh, um, as a pastor of this church, and one, one thing that I would love to see is that we wake up to the God-given gift and redeem this beautiful gift of God from the dirty things. And we claim it as ours. 
and good and beautiful. Here's a question number, I mean, the point number one. True, true spirituality looks like this. Sex in marriage is a God-given way to diminish temptation to sexual immorality. Verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a, man, with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. Do you see this? The wisdom and genius of Apostle Paul's answer is actually he's not losing two things. His, his answer is yes and no to that. Yes, in the sense that it is good. Singleness is good. Celibacy is good. If you do have a control, self-control, that God-glorifying benefits are there. By the way, we're going to compare and contrast the reasons for our generation's singleness popularity but, uh, uh, compared to Paul's reasons for goodness in, in singleness. That, that's going to be fourth point. You know, on one hand, Paul affirms the value of celibacy, as I mentioned. On the other hand, he recommends marriage. Sex is not everything in marriage, but sex in marriage is important enough for men and women, most men and women, it's better to be married. Because it will diminish tremendously, not completely, the temptation to sexual immorality. If sex drive is good and God-given, and we are to celebrate that, but the boundary to fulfill our sexual desires and sexual needs are drawn in within marriage. Why do you think so? It is because the importance and the uniqueness, the exclusivity of man and woman becoming one in marriage. Of course, we could share things with our good friends and become like-minded. But in marriage, only in marriage, two individuals come together in a holistic sense, not just the body, which messes up the whole holistic un oneness, but emotionally, spiritually, uh, in our minds and friendships, and then the special element of sex glues the relationship as one. That's God's, God's design. Point number two, sex in marriage is a gift designed for mutual fulfillment dependent on one's spouse. Okay, do not just disregard these mundane sentences, but pay attention to what Paul is getting at in terms of 
nature, and the principle of sex in marriage. Or keep this in mind. Think about first century, the patriarchal uh, male chauvinistic culture. The woman is sent away with a mere uh, divorce certificate. And there is no such a thing as right for woman. But you could see the equality in this. Husband should give to his wife for conjugal rights, marital rights in other words, and likewise the wife to her husband. To take the modern paraphrase, Eugene Peterson paraphrases like this, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. There are twofold purpose here. I mean, twofold principle here. The one is mutuality, as I mentioned. It is not just for the husband. It is not just the duty of a wife to meet her husband's needs. And it's vice versa. Completely mutual, completely equal. And therefore, any kind of force and demand in marriage in, in sexual relationship within the marriage is absolutely unbiblical. And number two, notice this. We are to give, not to take. Give sexual fulfillment to each other. So in, in, a, in a way that it is a, such a humble posture. I am not to satisfy myself by taking out the prostitute or by own sexual stimulation, self-stimulation to climax. It is not biblical design. The biblical design of sexual fulfillment is to depend on your spouse within the marriage. Can I propose this question to you? What is the most extravagant, extraordinary pleasure that you ever experienced? It's a rhetorical question, so people who, <laughs> people who try the joints or all kinds of meth or different drugs don't, don't answer. Of course, we could have fun playing golf and fun shopping and fun everything. But you and I know that without taking any medicine or any drugs, the, the, the extreme ecstasy of pleasure comes from our sexual fulfillment, isn't it? And that's why there's a... Sexual temptation is that strong and intense. And the second question is, why so? Because God valued our marriage so sacred and so special to glue together, not just the covenant-wise, 
but to glue emotionally, spiritually, physically together, God allowed this extraordinary, exclusive pleasure when husband and wife make love. This man and woman is tremendous gift, a beautiful gift we are to redeem. And I told you that in my men's group, I, I, say, I say this. A lot of things that we share, we cannot share. But I will share this again. We are going to, I'm going to be one of the pastors. And we are going to be one of the churches in our days to redeem the beautiful gift of God in sex. And we celebrate. Sex is not dirty. Sex drive is not supposed to be guilt-driven. You don't believe me. So we go to... <laughs> so not that, you know, it's not my idea. So I had to really withhold myself quite a bit because there is so much more passages that makes me like, I can't read that in Sunday morning worship. So if you're interested, go back. You could read through Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is about... Sexual love, intimacy, and as some people spiritualize, over-spiritualize and say, say that. It is just strictly about Christ's relationship allegory with the church. No, we could make that. Well, you know, everything about Bible is about Christ. But this is with the open mind adult reading. This is about sexual love. This is... Man and woman coming together as a bride and groom, they are celebrating the beauty. And the beautiful thing is about, it's not only he, but she responds. So the first half is he, but second half is she. He starts with this. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are dogs behind your veil. Your hair is like flock of goats. <laughs> I need to be serious. This is an ancient expression, right? Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your two breasts are like two fawns. Twins of a gazelle. They're little deers. That graze among the lilies. Now woman responds. My beloved is radiant and ready, distinguished among 10,000. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphire. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughter, daughters of Jerusalem. Did you see that? The women are more uh, holistic, right? She goes, this is my lover and this is my best friend. That's oneness looks like. Number three which leads to the practicality of it. Sex in marriage is to be celebrated regularly and unselfishly 
without depriving each other. Verse 4, For the wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And Paul gets very practical here. Number one, the principle, uh, oneness principle here in marriage is applied in our bodies together. My body belongs to my wife. My wife's body belongs to me. Once again, because the oneness principle is love principle, holistic principle, that doesn't mean that I could demand, we could demand our spouse whenever I need sex. That wouldn't be love. That would be actually opposite of love, doesn't it? But many men take this through the Christian history, took this passage out of the context and abused it. We're not to do that. Sexual fulfillment must be mutual and based on Christ's love and our friendship, conversation. The first thing that we hear is a frequency, basically. It's got to be regularly. Oh, this is a good news for all our men. You know why? Because our church, church um, the normal, right now, the life season, is a lot of kids. Last thing a woman has, you know, as a child, taking care of children, caregiver, all day long, and the lack of sleep, last thing she thinks about is sex. The man, I don't get enough sugar here. <laughs> but the attitude, once again, has to be Love, unselfish. So which means that application-wise, frequency-wise, what can man do? If it's sex is holistic oneness, sex begins in the kitchen. Sex begins in the morning. Sex begins in, in the in attentive listening, empathy. Meeting her emotional needs. Serving. And then when the time comes that actually acts happens, it, it's like a butter flowing through the hot coal. It becomes so natural and easy. Brothers, we need to be reminded by this principle over and over it is not our to demand, but to create, cultivate that intimacy which leads to, to making love. To the sisters I say this, uh, applying this, we need to change the low view of our sex. I really, oh, it was fun when we were single, the first year of our marriage, 
Now we have children. All my affections go to my children. I don't really need your affection. Just, you know, I cannot be even nice to you because once I begin <laughs> nice to you, you want something. <laughs> as your pastor, as your brother, I urge you to think about this. Your obedience to, is to the Lord first. And you are to be, yes, unselfish. You are to give yourself. A rhetorical question again. When was the last time you celebrate the gift of sex in your life, in your marriage? If it's several months, it's too, too long. Not because your own sexuality, from a woman's point of view, you could maintain somewhat the sexual purity. But men cannot. This man's sexuality, somehow he's gonna, his drive and sexual needs met. The internet pornography is rampant. That we are to stay away from self-sex. Stimulating yourself. To climax without depending on your spouse. That's, that's not God's design. So I already had that mindset, but as I'm studying this, especially reading through Song of Solomon, my appetite for beauty of sex was increased. And my prayer is that one of the applications this coming week will be something tangible to, that you will celebrate together. Of course, the exceptions are there, extreme exceptions. Obviously, one is sick and the one is in prayer. Um, we are to be, once again, loving and caring. And uh, this is about what all I can say in public. I would love to say in person much more. Some of you, I would like to encourage you to seek really others' help. Talk candidly about your problems. If necessary, seek professional help because sex is that important to glue your marriage together. And a lot of uh, our upbringing, there's a dirty images of what sex is, especially if we had sexual sins in growing up, we are to redeem that. And brothers and sisters, the sexual immorality is this important that marriage was recommended by Paul. Not as a passive secondary solution to it, but it is God's design. There are only few people who are gifted for celibacy and gifted for lifelong singleness. Parenthetical remark for me is that I think the wrong view of this and the people, even don't like Catholics do that too, but a lot of priests who became a single, lifelong single who did not have self-control 
who did not have gift of singleness and celibacy, and within the boundary, all kinds of sexual temptation spills out as a sexual deviation. That's wrong. So at least among us, brothers and sisters, do not view sex as a dirty thing, God-given thing. We are to be careful, but we are to celebrate. Think about ways that you could improve your sex life. Be creative. Like I said, this is all, all of you. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble with Kate. <laughs> Number four, singleness and celibacy is good, but it is not for everyone as marriage is not for everyone. Verse six, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself, I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married, unmarried, this unmarried is once married and become widowed. The, the male version of widow, widower, I would say that. And the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. It is better to marry than burn with passion. Apostle Paul, and along with Apostle Paul, many Christian leaders who had a gift of celibacy and singleness have chosen this, the way of goodness. Think about this. Paul's opinion is this. If you, if you could control, self con- have, you have the self-control, and then there is a holistic way of not needing the other opposite sex, whether not only physical, sexual context, but even in terms of needy, emotional dependence and other things. That's the meaning of gift of singleness. Paul is saying, when you are going full out for God's glory, especially think about his dangerous missions and journeys, you don't have to worry about your wife or husband. And like I said, many missionaries are, or singles who are going into the jungles. There are many of them were single women, never been married all their lives. And if you ask me, who's my hero and my book mentor? You guys hear John Stott in my quote over and over. John Stott was not only a theologian, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist. He drafted the Lausanne Covenant as an evangelical uh, congress of the world, which basically pointed the direction of evangelicalism up until now. The the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of the, the supreme authority of the scripture. He championed all those things. How was he able to do everything like that? He has chosen singleness as his life. 
do not imitate him unless you really are sure you have a gift of celibacy and singleness. How about for the single brothers and sisters amongst us? So singleness and celibacy could be a short period of time. And we should think of this time as a God-given gifts of freedom. Have no responsibility to your children, no responsibility to meet your husband's or wife's needs. And this is a beautiful thing. And we are to celebrate that. And Paul actually wanted this to be shared with everyone. But he quickly uh, uh, comes back with a recommendation of marriage because of sexual immorality, or should I say sexual purity is that important. It's better to be married rather than struggle with your lust every day, every weekend out. I don't know about you, I still struggle with, some, at times, sex being beautiful, not dirty, and something that I should not and feel guilty about as I'm celebrating sex with my wife. That it's, it's in our culture, it's somehow embedded in that. We are to change our mind to what God has said and be guided by that. And this is an honest uh, concern I have. Instead of selfless giving of ourselves, our culture has taught us to seeking for my own rights, my own convenience. And if our sex life is going to that, male will demand and woman will go ahead and escape from all kinds of situations because of the life season. In general, there are cases woman wants more. But we need to be this clear. What is a true spirituality? True spiritual life is not apart from the body, but with the body. Do you ever realize this? That even in sitcom or you know, the TV drama, and then men and women are trying, about to make love, and then he's a Catholic or something, and Jesus' picture is right there, he turns it around because it feels a little uncomfortable. Jesus watching you. But according to Paul and biblical principle of marriage, it is a God-glorifying thing to make love your wife with your husband. God is glorified, and God is pleasured in, in that, that you are celebrating God's beautiful gift. So would you glorify God with your body this coming week? <laughs> However you want to apply. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of this advice from Apostle Paul's writing. We're still confused and uh, struggle, I mean, struggling with the, the clear applications because of our culture is so confused. At the same time, we pray that this beautiful gift you have given us, teach us 
help us to redeem it for the glory of God and for shining light and salt as a, the mission of the church. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.